We're getting some beautiful weather lately. It's coming a little at a time every day. For our text this morning, I'll read from the ninth chapter of Hebrews. It's uh, it's a designated text for this morning in in that that list of of uh, texts that Luther put together. Apparently, got it from my father-in-law many years ago. That list. So I'll read I'll read from the ninth chapter of Hebrews, the eleventh through to the fifteenth verses. Reading these words in Jesus' name. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is a mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Amen. Greetings of grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be multiplied unto each one gathered here this morning, now and forever. Amen. I I, I looked at, we have that whole bunch of books on Luther's writings on all kinds of texts and I looked at that this morning and to see what he had to say and I kind of had chosen this text, and then after I read what he said right at the first, I thought, well, I wasn't qualified at first to speak of that. And then what he said was that to basically, I forget the exact wording, but to get the real depth out of this text, we we have to understand all of Hebrews in depth quite well in order to get much out of these texts. So... (laughs) then I think that I'm even less qualified. So I ask for I ask for your prayers. As as we should always ask for those that are taking this this place. This morning with Beth and I were talking, I asked I asked her not to not that I thought she might have the answer, but just because that's what husband and wife do, we throw things back and forth, and and uh, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I don't know why or <clears throat> what there is behind it, but this word fire, and we, we sang the song, Some Golden Daybreak, and it's, it's uh, I guess, an expe- uh, especially... Uh, good song in my heart and mind and we think of Jesus coming and there's many many songs that speak of that and 
I was asking Beth, you know, what, what, what's the importance of the fire in, in the scriptures? And, and just to, to name a few things, we see Moses before the burning bush. This, this bush is on fire and it, it draws his attention and he, he walks, I don't know how far, over to it to see this phenomenon, how, how something can be uh, surrounded by or encapsulated by fire and yet not be consumed. We know that in a natural sense, anytime there's fire, whether it's wood or coal or natural gas or something, there's, there's some product being burnt mixed with oxygen and I guess uh, physicists would would tell you in detail how it all works but something is consumed and Moses knew that and he wonders out loud how how this can take place that the bush is covered in fire and yet is not consumed and then we see different different things like Abraham makes that sacrifice and it's all to do with the promise of of him having this son Isaac that was about to come and he puts he kills some animals and some birds and cuts them up and covers this table with these sacrificial pieces of meat and it says that then he fell into a he fell into a horror of of deep sleep or something it's worded that way and he saw how how his <clears throat> his uh, descendants would go into Egypt and then come under bondage. I think that was the horror that he saw that his his people would would multiply greatly, but then they would come into bondage in Egypt for four hundred years. But when he when he made that sacrifice, it says that fire came down from heaven and mingled. It, it's almost like in my mind, like a liquid fire came down and mingled with his meat and consumed it. When Abraham was awake, he was he was driving the the ravens and the birds away from this meat. Uh, I can sort of picture him, I guess, maybe we all could, of, of he has this table prepared and, and then the birds come along and they want to help themselves to his meat. And he's probably waving his arm shouting at them but he falls into that deep sleep and God consumes the sacrifice then we see with uh, Elijah when he put those prophets to a trial and they made their sacrifice and they called and on their so called gods and cried and cut themselves and did all kinds of funny things and and we know that it's it's uh, it's man trying to reach God man trying to appease God and call on him and and I, I wonder I guess I I wonder about Elijah's ways there when he even mocks them and says well your God must be sleeping or he must be on some journey someplace and he hasn't you have been able to reach him. Then when when Elijah makes puts together his altar and 
It's interesting that he puts it together with unhewn stones. And he makes his sacrifice and pours water, digs ditches around there and pours water, fills the ditch with water. It says fire came down from heaven and consumed his sacrifice. The living God operates by fire lots of times. When we were singing that song, some golden daybreak, the reason this all comes to my mind is because Beth and I were talking there this morning and I was talking, I asked her what she thought of all this fire. So she she read uh, one of the references was to when, when Jesus returns. We, we, we see in in the first part of Acts, how he, when he was received up into heaven, it says he just lifted up from the earth, and the clouds received him out of the out of the people's sight. And it says he's going to return in like manner. He's going to return the same way. But I was trying to look for it here. It's in Corinthians someplace. But it says he will return with fire. And I think I think it means those that are not ready for him. It's not going to be a good time. It's going to be a terrible time. It's going to be a great and wonderful day as we sing some golden daybreak. Jesus will come. And it's going to be a great and terrible day for those that are not ready. I think that's where the fire comes in. And, and we know that and many, many other places, but I think of, of John speaking of Jesus, and I say it often here how how he said, I baptize with water, but one comes after me, he will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's going to burn away the chaff, burn away the dross. In, in, that, in that one scripture, it speaks of, of the, the wood, hay, and stubble being burnt away, and then the gold and silver and precious stones being tried by fire, the wood, hay, and stubble vanishes into, just vanishes into the wind with fire. And the gold and the, was it silver? I forget. And precious stones, they become more pure with fire. The fire of God's word, I guess, the fire of his love, the fire of, of who he is power that's there this text that I took here read <clears throat> speaks of and, and all that Luther wrote on it he, he does quite some expounding on it and, and much of it is is too deep for me but he says here how he goes through some of these verses and says how just exactly what it says here, that the the Old Testament way of worship before Christ came was was fallible. And it the uh sacrificing of, of goats and and calves and whatever it was, animals, goats and calves it says here. It was to remind the people on a yearly basis, and the priest went into the into the uh, holiest of holies and made this sacrifice 
once a year. And and what Luther says there, I, I, I'm going to do some more reading, but it's like they sacrificed for the same sins over and over again. And they sacrificed the same types of animals every year. And and as we see in the in the first few verses in chapter 10 it says for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect and we see Paul writing of his own experience how how he was alive without the law once but when the law came sin revived and I died and and the the uh, the fallibility of of the old dispensation and how man does not become perfect. We don't become perfect in the new dispensation either. But Christ is in us and with us. He's here this morning where there's a few diligent souls gathered no matter where they are. I was told one time that if you live in Yellowknife, it was one of these hardliners. You can't possibly think of yourself as a Christian. I was living in Yellowknife at the time. I don't know what he had against Yellowknife, but but I said, well, that's not that's not according to the word in any way. That if we if we believe we're a child of God, no matter where we are on this earth, the Old Testament ways of sacrificing were to remind the people that there is a Savior coming. They were just as saved as we are. But the, the infallibility, I guess, to me, comes in where, where man tries to do these things and perfect these laws. And we find ourselves simply failing and failing and failing. And, and we can... We can put away sins, we can put away our doubts and, and things and not find peace. We can confess our sins and not find peace. Con- confession and absolution I, I truly, fully believe in. But we are to find peace there. And we find peace when we can believe. We don't find peace through the confession. We find peace through believing when a brother and sister can lay their hands on us and pronounce that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to us that those things are forgiven. Jesus has died. We believe in a risen Savior. We believe in a living Savior. One of the things Luther said was, which I've never really understood it that way, and and he's right, is that when Jesus was on the cross, we're coming up to Easter in this This is why this text was chosen, I suppose. When Jesus was on the cross, no one saw that this was his altar, the sacrificial altar. It looked like a couple of planks that had been nailed together and that this man was dying in one of the cruelest ways that could be. Luther explains that this was his altar and nobody saw that. 
God received that sacrifice of his son, laying down his life and giving his life willingly that you and I might be able to believe. So he talks about the cross being being the altar on which Christ was placed. As far as he goes into all the all the old way old Old Testament ways of of worshiping and all the rituals and all that and says that they were they were all the things that we could tangibly grasp or, or understand or look at. But when Christ was on that altar, that was intangible. We can see the wooden cross. We could go cut down some trees and make lumber and build a cross. We can understand that. But to say that this was a sacrificial altar that Jesus was placed on, nobody saw that. But God received Jesus from that altar. So we'll go through these these few words that I read. But Christ being come and high priest of good things, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We see how, how I've said it, I've said it many times, how, how it wasn't, Physically speaking, it was the Roman soldiers who put Jesus on the cross. But Jesus gave his life. He, he offered his life. Remember how he says, Not my will, but thy will be done. He, he had the will of man. He knew the will of God and he knew the will of man. But I, I believe that, that he... His own will was that if there was some way salvation could come to mankind without this, my dying and suffering and dying and offering this sacrifice, that it could be that way. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. It was God's will that Jesus gave his life for us. It says Christ being being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. This tabernacle is not like the one that we, we, we read of in Moses' time, put together in certain ways. The the uh, places of 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 the well the, the most holy place, the uh, I forget what they call it here, anyways holiest of holies I guess all these things were put together for for the purpose of of a place to worship and a place to come to God for a place for the believers to come together but Jesus puts together another tabernacle not made with hands not 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 something that we put the hammer and the saw to and and, and build anything. Although God, went, we know that 
when he gives instructions to build this and he gives instructions to to uh, put together the uh, the um, Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat and all these things, there's very specific instructions of how to do it. These are all, Luther points that these are all physical things that the people could see and, and put their hands on and touch. But Jesus comes in a different way and he, he puts together a different church. He puts together a living church, not, not something we can touch with our hands. One place it says it's eternal in the heavens. Christ, Christ being come and high priest. We know that Jesus was called a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And we know that Jesus didn't really start preaching. I'm, I'm sure he performed miracles and, and talked to people all his life as we see him as a, a boy in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. He actually started preaching after after he was baptized. He was baptized in the priest, into the priesthood by John the Baptist. And John, feeling inadequate, says, you're coming to me to be baptized. I should be baptized by you. Jesus says, suffer it to be so. Go ahead and baptize me. And we see the heavens opened after he was baptized. And a voice from heaven calls down and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Christ was ordained into the ministry, we might say. The Levitical ministry. I was reading. I was reading about that too, and, and we see that in that, in that, um, I can never remember the name of the the uh, Ark of the Covenant. It says that there was one of the one of the items. There was the manna. There was Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron was of the of the the tribe of the Levites. Moses asked. All the people, all, all the tribes, of the, tw- the twelve tribes, each to give him a rod. You might say it's just a, just a piece of wood, a stick that they found. And he was going to put them together. And in the morning, one of them would bite and be, come, come back to life or come to life. And, they all were to put their names, the names of the tribes, written on each, each uh, rod or stick, we might say nowadays. But the one that was of the tribe of Levi, Moses said, put Aaron's name on it. Because Aaron was a priest. Aaron was the one that, that when... Moses complained that I, I can't lead and well so his, his one excuse was that I can't even speak to people I, I don't know why I'm here because I know in my younger years I couldn't I couldn't even speak to one person in an audience but I guess God helps us along through life anyways Moses said for for the Levitical people the people of the tribe of Levi 
Put Aaron's name on that rod. Aaron seemed to know that that rod would bud and grow overnight. So these rods were all given to Moses and he put them aside. And then the morning he went and looked at them. And Aaron's rod not only had, you might think of little buds on it, but it says it was growing and there were leaves on it. And there were, there were almonds growing on the, on, on this Aaron's rod. So Aaron's rod was put into this, into this, uh, Ark of the Covenant. And that was to be carried around with the people of Israel. And it was to be put in the, in the uh, tabernacle. And it was a picture that this is this is the living faith. This this is the true faith. Follow after these Levitical priests. And be on the right track. So Jesus is part of that Levitical priesthood, as far as this world is concerned. He fulfilled all things. He fulfilled the natural things, he fulfilled the, the godly things. Christ being in high, become a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, not of that building where a people, a bunch of people get together and put up a church or a place to worship. It's not to do with that building, but it's to do with a living building, a living tabernacle. This is, the, this is the tabernacle Jesus puts together. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. I don't, I don't think he's talking about a building like we're in. He's talking about the putting together of things. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. That was part of their, their worship service to bring these sacrifices and, and when Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, when he came into Jerusalem the last time, I, I believe it was, that he says, you've, you've made this, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a, a den of thieves. People set up businesses. And I, I've heard from some of the elders when I was a young man, I think they were on track. They said that people set up businesses in this temple. And instead of packing these animals through the streets and people could say, well, okay, so so-and-so, he's guilty of that because he's, he's packing along these doves with him and so-and-so is guilty of this because he's, they, were, they were looking at these things. So these people, these people made it easier for the sinner to come and, and just purchase his sacrifice right in the temple and then walk over the next door and worship or, or uh, sacrifice this dove or calf or whatever it might be. Jesus drove those people out of the temple. Neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood. He offered his own blood instead of sacrificing some bird or animal. But by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus offered himself. And we see that when he came back and spoke to Mary, and she thought it was the gardener, and he says, 
no, I'm not the gardener. And then we called her name. He, she recognized him as, as the Savior. And he says, touch me not. I have not yet ascended to my father. And we have to, we have to assume that he had to go back to the father. It's the only place in the scripture it says anything about that. He had to, he had to receive that from the father that the father is pleased with this sacrifice offered from that altar, the cross. The father was very pleased with the sacrifice, very pleased with the work that Jesus had done. We see that Jesus, it speaks of Jesus, became sin for us. I don't know the heart of God that much, but I think when God looked down and saw his son and all he saw was sin. It would have been hard. It would have been heavy on his heart. But there was also joy there. Because Jesus was doing his will. The will of his father. The sacrifice was acceptable. Nothing man has ever done to try and gain God's acceptance or attention has ever been acceptable. Nothing. That was totally acceptable. Jesus came back to this earth. And we see there in the Easter story how he came back and met with his disciples. Came through locked doors. Told them, uh, told them that I'm not a spirit. A spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And he asked for something to eat and he even ate some some fish and a honeycomb, I believe it was. We don't understand it. It was a glorified Jesus. And when we see him again, he'll be a glorified Jesus. And he will be something that we we think of in time in this period we call time that, that then we'll understand we won't have to understand he's going to take us home with him instantly and as, as far as I can understand and believe this word to say that there will be no remembrance of former things we have our trials and our struggles and fights and battles in this world it's all going to be behind us going to be left in this world. We won't take it with us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I'm still trying to get over some of the things I read that Luther said in that art, in that writing he has on this. But he, he says, in a sense, that this Old Testament way of worship didn't really take people away and out of their sins. 
I believe they they believe the same way we do. We believe Jesus has come. They believe that he will come. But the offering of these things and, and the repetitive side of, of what they had to do and they were asked to do and they did it. People, people that were obedient to this law they went ahead and did these things. I should read... I guess I read a little bit there in chapter 10. I should read some more there. It says, well, I'll just start again there. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. So I think that's where he gets it from that that this this was a this was a a way of worship that had that had loopholes and had had problems and and Paul, as I mentioned, speaks of his own conversion, how it seems like the more he got into it the the less he got out of it when it comes to this way of salvation. He realized that. His, his works will accomplish nothing, but the works of our Lord and Savior accomplish it all. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made for sins every year, made of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Therefore, wherefore, when we... When he cometh into the world, he say, A sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written. Lo, I come. And then it's in brackets. In the volume of the book it is written of me. To do thy will, O God. Lo, so we could... We could skip that. It's in brackets to get a little clearer picture there. It says, Then said I, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. It's, it's Jesus speaking, I believe. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he might establish the second. This is this is these, this building that Jesus put together. By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here in the text it says, For the blood, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. By going about these rituals, there was there was something there. There was it helped helped people believe, and and I believe if people were sincere, confessing their sins, bringing them out, there was there was help there. But it seems like it was a. It was a way that had to be done and redone and redone every year. The, the priest 
offered sins for himself and, and for the people of the congregation every year. O- offered sacrifices, should I say. Not sins. How much more shall the blood of Christ, when we speak of the blood of Christ, we speak of uh, how it was that Jesus gave his blood. Blood is, blood is the, the life-giving stream that is in our veins. We know that if a, if a person's in an accident and they lose a certain amount of blood, they, they die. And, and nowadays, in modern times, we, we can pump the blood in as fast as it might be draining out some other place. And we can keep that person alive until they heal and the, and the blood flow stops. So the blood is where the life is. It carries life to every, every part of the body. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When, when Jesus died on the cross, we know that it speaks of the blood there, and people want to go on and on about well, I, 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 I've heard, I've heard things that I think they bring in too much blood, and they, they say the ground was soaked with it, and he was covered with it, and all these things. He gave his blood. He gave his life. Is what it's speaking about. That we might live eternally. It says the blood of Christ purges us from sin. His dying, his work, the work that he did, he shed his blood. We know physically speaking, his hands and his feet were nailed to that cross. We know the, the soldier pierced his side and, and he lost that blood. He lost his life. He gave his life. He said, it is finished. I, I, I believe physically he died like anyone else would die if we lost that much blood. But it's speaking of his, his giving his life, giving his, his all, all that he had. First of all, he lived a perfect life. That was pleasing to God. He offered himself. He became sin for us and offered himself on the cross to die. And fight that battle over wrongdoing, over all sin and evil and wrongdoing that the mankind has in his very being and falls into. Fought that battle and you won. The, the battle there, it speaks about in Revelations, Michael and his angels fight this battle with the devil and his angels. Angels and Michael prevails. He won the battle. I believe that's the same battle Jesus fought and won when he returned to life. Death could not hold him. Grave could not hold him. The devil couldn't hold him. He came back victorious over these things. We believe in him. We believe in this work that he accomplished. If this old way of worship somehow got people to heaven, how much more, that's what it's saying here, how much more 
the blood of Jesus will get us to heaven. He comes back a living, risen, powerful Savior. We have, in believing in his work, we have power over sin. I know, and I've experienced it, I'm sure any, anybody can say that, that without this word and without some understanding of what Christ has done for us, we have no power over sin. I've had two people tell me with with the same, and I'll name it as a sin, as, as having a drinking problem with imbibing too much in, in alcohol. And, and I've had two people tell me that some people are taken by this. And, and I was wondering if I had this problem, so I just quit altogether. And... And I forget the length of time, but it was several months. Both of them, each of them said that I just quit it altogether. Quit drinking altogether. One of them told, one of them told me my doctor was telling, him, telling me I'm drinking too much whiskey. He's a truck driver. And so I decided I was going to see if I could just get by without it. I did fine. But two people tell me a similar thing. They haven't viewed it as being sin. They've, they've only looked at it from the natural side. First of all, the word tells us that if we cast a stumbling block in front of our brother, that that is very wrong. And we do that all the time. We, we cast stumbling blocks, not, not willingly, but we can offend so easily. So, so we can quit some habit we might have or, or like this, this one individual, the doctor said he's drinking too much. He says, so I quit for a few months. It, it made no difference whatsoever in my life. No difference whatsoever. He's a hard worker, very ambitious, and it, it didn't slow him down or speed him up or anything. So, so he decides against the doctor's wishes that I guess it isn't a problem with me. If, if it causes someone else to get into that who can't handle it, then, then he falls into that where, where he's offended, his brother. That's why it's an offense. And, and the scripture also says that Jesus, I believe, himself says that, that no drunkard is going to get into heaven. No, no drunkard ever started out any different than, than starting. They, they start and... and some go off the deep end worse than others. That's the way sin is. Maybe one, people, one person can handle it better or differently than others. But sin is sin. And I guess it bothers me even, even in that how, how people that claim to be Christian people are, are imbibing these days. I, I don't like it. It's not good. I guess I went off track there talking about sin but it's sin that separates us from God and it's sin that is the reason that all this took place God's, God's plan for man he put man on this earth the very, the very peak and pinnacle of his creation was when he had created man after he had created all the rest of this earth Man has this free spirit 
we, we have a God that could bring us to our knees in any way he chose to. And there wouldn't be one man that isn't saved. God has given man free choice. He's given man the choice. If you want to go that way, he keeps calling, come and come and come. But he says, he doesn't say, but this is the way it is. If you want to go that way, he gives us that choice to go that, go our own way. And it's so appealing to the flesh. It's so appealing to man. He thinks, first of all, he thinks he has one over on God and then he forgets about God altogether. The scriptures don't, they don't give us any, any indication that those people will spend eternity in heaven. When it speaks of the homosexual problem, there in the first chapter of Romans, it says they take pleasure in doing these things. They're not only into these things, but they, they love doing these things. If the blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying to the pure, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through, through the eternal spirit, that was the energy that gave him strength to do it, the eternal spirit, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Jesus didn't offer himself as a, as a world of sin. He offered himself without spot. He, he, he is the reason why the children of Israel, when they were leaving Egypt, were, take, were to take a lamb without spot and without blemish. It's a picture of Jesus, an innocent lamb. Jesus is the innocent lamb of God without spot and without blemish. And when you see those little creatures, physically speaking, a little lamb, it seems like they have rubber legs and they're so cute and, and, and you can't help but love them, even naturally speaking. And it's a picture of Jesus, without spot and without blemish, and without any broken bones. They weren't supposed to have any anything wrong with them whatsoever. This little animal in perfect health. They were sacrificed. And the blood was put on the doorposts. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus. When that says the Lord came. And we came to those houses that had that blood on the, on the lintels. He passed over them. That's what the Passover is. He passed over them. This house is in order. I don't have to worry about it. But the houses that were not in order, he took one from every every home. And the people that didn't have children, he took some of their animals. And it was a terrible night in Egypt. Jesus is that lamb without spot and without blemish. And he offers himself a sacrifice to God 
He is God. Isn't that interesting? He's the Son of God. Conceived by the Holy Ghost. And this purges your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's something we can't do of ourselves. We can't get rid of sin and serve the living God without what Jesus has done for us. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal, eternal inheritance. We have a promise. If I was to give some speech and, and make some promise to a group of people, say whatever, I don't know what they'd say. If you sit in this meeting for 20 minutes and listen to me, I'll promise you a new car outside. Everybody would get out there and just all anxious to get into their new car. We have a promise here. We have a promise that if our sins are forgiven, if we can believe our sins forgiven in the work that Jesus has done, if and when, I should say, we can believe. It says that we have a promise of eternal inheritance. We will inherit heaven. We don't want a natural inheritance. You didn't do anything for it. Maybe your parents willed you some piece of furniture or something that had been around the house where you grew up in. They willed it to you. You didn't do anything for it. You were just there. You're one of their children. So then they... They, they will you this, and you inherited it. It says we're going to inherit it. The word tells us we'll inherit heaven. It says here, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. So we don't go out the door looking for, for a new car or something somebody donated to us. Or that we sat through the meeting and listened to something and, and, and he promised you something. We, we look for the promise of heaven. To reach heaven's shore. Some have been fortunate enough to get a little glimpse of heaven's shore in this life. As we see Stephen when he was stoned. He tells those around him lay not he calls out to God don't don't lay this to their charge he, he had cried out that I see Jesus what, what did those people think what did Paul think Saul at the time what did he think when Stephen cried out I see Jesus standing on the right hand of God he got a glimpse of that of his inheritance before he left this earth, moments before. The last thing he cried out was to God was, don't lay this to their charge. 
they would be guilty of that. Each individual that was stoning him. And Saul would be guilty of that. That this will be held against you. Rightly so. Stephen has the heart of Jesus there. He cries out, don't lay this to their charge. They have no idea what they're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we receive the benediction? May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance unto us and give us everlasting peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.